All right, hello and welcome back to Between the Liars with Ryan, Austin. Hey, everybody. Marcelo. Hello, everyone. And Josh. How's it going, everyone? And today we will be discussing the Afghanistan war and the current crisis that we've got going on. So to give you a bit of background on what led to the events and how we got involved with Afghanistan in the first place, this dates back to the 1970s when we were in the throes of the Cold War at a standstill with the Soviet Union. One of the first things that I learned in high school about Afghanistan, uh, and I didn't go to high school here, uh, so it was a little different, is that they talked about Afghanistan in, in the sense of like, yes, the U.S. was there, but also the U.S. was not the first empire that was there. It's been um, called the graveyard of empires and, and all of that area in general has been an area that is astoundingly difficult to quote unquote control. Uh, and well, as we know now, uh, things were never going that great. It has changed hands multiple times. That will probably continue to happen. Throughout the Cold War, Afghanistan did agree to be neutral and they ended up taking both sides. Uh, from the West, the United States, and also from the USSR. It wasn't until the 1990s the Taliban entered the picture, and a lot of that the issues began with bombings of U.S. embassies carried out by the Taliban. Afghanistan has long been this region that many have sought to control, both inside of Afghanistan and outside of Afghanistan, ever since kind of the idea of Afghanistan was created after the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the reorganization of the Middle East by the Western empires. And so there's always been a very splintered group of people who've occupied the region that we geographically now recall Afghanistan. And so there's not this overarching united national national identity the same way as when I say American. You kind of have this general aesthetic of what that means. There isn't yet that for the people of Afghanistan, for them to be, you know, this is what it means to be, you know, an Afghani from Afghanistan. Because of all of those different identities, um, they have that constitute the different nations there. On top of the Taliban, which controlled a large part of Afghanistan um, throughout the late 90s into the early 2000s, Al-Qaeda also set up operations in there and, of course, conducted two bombings um, simultaneously in 1998. Um, on two different U.S. embassies, then, of course, conducted the 9-11 attacks because while the Taliban weren't an explicitly international terrorist group, they weren't the fondest of people to their neighbors um, and to their own domestic actors. And so they weren't heavily policing the Al-Qaeda groups. You can see this in the same way of even though um, with the most recent uh, suicide bombing that happened at the Kabul airport was carried about by ISIS. ISIS prisoners were released by the Taliban when they took back over um, the area. Even though they're kind of competing groups, they still set these people free just for them to come back and attack them again, which still kind of shows what um, is this very splintered idea of Afghanistan really exists. The Taliban was not responsible for 9-11. That was committed by Al-Qaeda, led by Osama bin Laden. And we do know that Al-Qaeda was shielded by the Taliban because when the United because when Osama bin Laden fled to Afghanistan and the United States post 9/11 said you need to turn over the members of al-Qaeda the leaders of Afghanistan at that time said we're not going to do that which is what led us uh, to the operation during freedom so in a response to the attack carried out on 9-11 by al-Qaeda, uh, George W. Bush announced Operation Enduring Freedom, which was the official name the U.S. government used to conduct a global war on terrorism. This was announced on October 7, 2001, and the parties that were involved were obviously the United States, NATO, um, Britain played a large role, and this was carried out 
in order to combat terror abroad, but specifically to target Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, and those that had perpetrated the attacks on 9-11. This was carried out for approximately 13 years, and under the Obama administration, it was drawn to a close, I believe it was in December of 2014. Okay, so that leads us to where we are today. I think it's worth noting that because of the terror attacks that had taken place on 9-11, the Operation Enduring Freedom did receive support from both Democrats and Republicans at the time. And since then, this has dragged on to be one of the longest and most expensive wars that the United States has been involved in. So that is why we now receive joint support from both parties, although not unanimous, to withdraw our troops. So the question, in my opinion is not should we evacuate, but rather how and when. I don't know what the other's thoughts are on that. I, I'm, I'm not sure I buy the media narrative of how bad it is. I kind of do feel like it's a lot worse than it's playing out to be. Um, but I also think like the United States has lost its appetite for war in recent years. So among the pros, uh, and as we all agreed, this needed to happen. And not only because it, you know, rhetorically needed to happen, like we needed to leave, but also because Trump signed an agreement with the Taliban to retreat in May of this year. So this was going to happen. Biden honored this agreement. So besides that, that it, that it needed to happen by, by, by the agreement is that it's something that we should have done a while ago. But again, I don't think anybody here disagrees that uh, about that. I think the support for the war has been waning ever since we got into it. You had bipartisan support to go in, but now you have more of a bipartisan support to go out. I don't see a lot of people really saying, you know, um, oh, we should have stayed. I think, like you said, most of the criticism comes from the way we left. But the one thing that you can say about the, the retreat is that, yes, it needed to happen, of course. And then that is, that is good because we are, in my opinion, we and we as in America, I guess, in the U.S., uh, we shouldn't stay in a in a position that is not only like costly in terms of American lives and other countries' uh, citizens' lives, but also something that is not really financially uh, feasible when we could have been using that money for other things. Uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. So I agree. It absolutely should have happened. I again agree. It was a question of when and how. The when seemed to have been pretty clear because we had signed an agreement. I think that the preparation leading up to that was scanty uh, after the trade-off of administrations. The last decade or so has not been a war so much as the United States being there as peacekeepers. We had presumably broken the back of the Taliban, driven them out, allowing Afghanistan to not be under the reign of the terrorist organization. However, clearly they have come back. But I think that the United States being there as a presence needed to be calculated, but also transitioned over since we spent roughly $38 billion in aid to help with both uh, reconstructive aid, but also with equipping the Afghan security forces. I think that that should have been transitioned at this point over to a local control rather than the United States needing to be there. I think looking back on how the United States left between the Trump administration signing the deals and then you know the Biden administration not meeting the initial May deadline and extending it to now here in late August. I do think there's something to be said when we look at how the Trump administration was initially planning to withdraw. When they signed the deal to withdraw, did they sign it with the real government of Afghanistan? Nope. They signed it with the Taliban because they knew when the United States left, 
the person you needed to have agreements with wasn't the real Afghanistani government. It was going to be the Taliban. And so I kind of have been a little surprised, I guess, is going to be my statement, how people reacted that the Taliban have come back so aggressively when the Trump administration was already diplomatically signaling, these are the real officials of the area. Here's who we're signing deals with. That's a very legitimizing political action. And so, yeah, the people we sign deal with are the ones who were in power. Yeah, I would say that it it makes, uh, I mean, obviously in hindsight, everything makes sense. But uh, I, I was very surprised, not being very familiar with the war and the conflict and how everything played out, that I think most experts' estimates of how fast the Taliban would take control of the country was like, okay, maybe a month, you know, but not a weekend. And then like in, in two, three days, um, they took control of most of the cities and they went all the way to Kabul. Um, I would say that that was very... It was very impressive in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, they had the capacity to do all of this and they were already, I mean, if they only needed two or three days to take control of, of most of the country, then were they ever really not in control? Like they, they, they were already like, they had so much power already there. Um, and the fact that most of the uh, Afghan forces just let them through. Um, indicates that like the, the true amount of, you know, uh, like Josh said, and they were already the dominating force there. And as soon as we left, and that was just put into evidence. I was also surprised at how quickly, because I, I know that there had been estimations by some of us in the U.S. that had been like, this will take a couple of months. Like, they'd seemed to be somewhat inevitable, um, especially once we were fully withdrawn. But I don't think anybody at the time really saw it happening while we were still in the process of leaving. And now we need a little bit more urgent term of evacuating and everything kind of uh, went to crap after that. I would say some of the positives while we were there was, you know, we we had suspended the reign of the Taliban, which was very authoritarian, which really oppressed a lot of the Afghan women's rights. When when they were there and it was their regime, women were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to be educated. There was public hangings, executions, and uh, chopping off of hands, violent punishment for breaking those laws. I think the suspension of that was a great win. I think that unfortunately, we're probably going to see the return of that with the takeover of the Taliban. Yeah, like I would, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you on this because obviously, you know, you can see the pros in, in some ways, but also I know that in the show, we also like to talk about maybe the, the means don't justify the ends. And if um, we're going to say like, yeah, it's good that, you know, we invaded the country because they were treating women badly. Then I feel like there's a few countries on the list that we would need to invade. Um, and it's not, not necessarily, I would say like, it is, is that definite pro? But um, obviously, isolated doesn't doesn't justify um, putting troops on the ground. I'll agree with that 100%. I think this was just more of a, a positive side benefit that came out while we were there. I know that I've, I've heard some people say that there was nothing good that has come out of this war. I would say that that is a positive good, but I would also say it's not a reason to invade. I think the reason we invaded was get rid of Osama bin Laden, 100%. I would also add here that... It, um and just to give a bit more of detail into the timeline of what's been happening in Afghanistan, that they didn't really just take over in a weekend. They completed their takeover in a weekend is a more accurate statement. Um, the Taliban controlled closing in on a third of the country, even as early as of like July of this year, and began taking over more and more territory starting in May, June, July. And so it was only kind of like this final surge that happened as the United States um, pushed back. So again, that's where I'm going to be a little more on the what 
we think was going to happen. I would also say, Ryan, that I think some of the people whose take on saying, you know, nothing came of it, of like, even though we accomplished um, those advancements, you know, if, you know, now that the Taliban has taken back over and now um, those advancements only existed for, you know, 20 years. So were they really there? I think like most people, obviously very surprised and disappointed that it didn't take any time at all for the Taliban to kind of sweep most of the progress made by Americans under the rug. As far as like Ryan had mentioned, advancements in women's rights, advancements in education, a lot of the authoritarian tendencies of the Taliban being, you know, kind of skirted over the past 20 years. Even though that's fallen apart so quickly, I don't think we should discount the fact that there was a stretch of 20 years where there was a lot of good, even though the end is definitely not preferable for sure. I mean, 20 years is enough time for a person to be born in relative freedom, so to speak, and to grow to be a young adult. I don't know what happens tomorrow for them, but at least they were blessed to have 20 years where there wasn't tyranny hanging over their head. I think that's, you know, some good we need to think about, even though things have obviously not ended up how anybody hoped they would. There's definitely pros for what was established while we were there, as short as it was, or as long, depending on (laughs) the side you want to take. But there's also certainly pros to us getting out. Getting the soldiers home has been a political talking point since uh, we had the Clinton-Trump presidential election if not earlier. That's what the platform people have been on. And I feel like that's kind of in some ways a promise that's been delivered. Unless people have more to say, I think we can definitely move on to the cons to us pulling out as well as if you have them, the cons for uh, while we were there, I'd take either of those. I think when we consider the war as a whole, and we look at some of the more negative aspects of it. One of the things I think is a common opinion I've seen, I think it's a very legitimate take, is that the number one advertisement campaign for terrorist groups was United States boots on the ground in their home cities. I think it's really hard to say you're going to bring peace to a country with an occupying military force serving as the police. That's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty gnarly feeling. Some foreign nation is coming in and policing you all in the name of security on your behalf. There's always just going to be countercultural people who are going to rebel for the sake of rebelling. Your, you know, coronavirus conspiracy theorists have that same kind of, you know, pretense, you know, there's a, you know, kind of wider mandate. They rebel. That rebellion is part of what it means to be human. And so in some sense, this will like help in getting out, but um, I think it's contributed a lot to getting us to this point of how um, the influence and the impact uh, our military has had on the people over there and their opinions they have about us. It's hard to love people whose military lives in your town. I think that's a fair criticism. Austin, what do you think? I think that's definitely a fair point. Like Josh was saying, there's something to be said that if you have an occupying force standing you know, next door to you, pretty much, that is going to contribute to a lot of animosity towards that force. Whether or not the United States you know, has good intent tensions and trying to bring some of the Western values to this nation that would, you know, be inarguably better for a lot of the people there. The people that are there at the moment may not see it that way. And I I don't know, I think that is a really good point. Um, The animosity there would fuel quite a bit of recruitment for um, terrorist organizations looking to push that force out of their country. Marcel, thoughts? I would, I mean, I I think that's one of the strongest cons is that invading any place, I would say it's going to already puts you in a bad light, you know, like, why are you here? Uh, Especially from people who might not see, I'm just trying to put myself in the position of, of, of someone and I've never been in this position before, so I'm trying to imagine it. Um, some an occupying force coming to your town and saying, like, "Well, no, we're doing this because," and then they start explaining the history of why we why we came. And it's like, yeah, but I don't care. You know, you're here. So I think I think that in in, in many ways, sort of like from their perspective, invalidates any sort of possible pros that we would have um, for an invading force to come and 
um, just stay in your town uh, and not for a little bit, but for, for 20 years. I think that's definitely going to be colored by the length of stay. I think that when the United States came in, broke the back of the Taliban and suspended that reign of terror that had been oppressing the people, then I think in that instance, the majority of people, if I had to guess, would assume that this is a good thing. I think the longer the United States occupies that area, I think the longer you're going to see that as a change of authority and maybe not for the better, particularly particularly when you don't have the fresh reminder of what it was, the longer that that stretches out, I think the poorer the United States occupation is going to be viewed by the locals. Yeah, you can't subvert the values of an entire people. You can't force them to change, or you can't use coercive force to get them to change their worldview, especially not in what the span of one generation. It does put the United States in this interesting para, like um, parallel contradiction. We're going to go with that. It'll make sense here. Of like, we stayed too long and left too quickly, or at least left without at least a great enough of a plan. Like you're put in this position of asking questions of like, okay, if we knew we were leaving, why weren't we pulling people out methodically as long as, you know, as well as we were pulling our soldiers out? Like, there was also like a lot of criticism um, when Trump was negotiating leaving and, you know, throughout 2019, you know, and leading into 2020 of his own administration, you know, had refugee bans, had travel bans, you know, from a lot of these Middle Eastern countries. And so a lot of the people who worked with our soldiers over there worked in our civilian affairs and um, translated, acted as guides and assisted United States in its mission over there. Like those people were denied access by these same refugee bans um, that the administration you know, pushed largely championed by Stephen Miller, who was a very anti-immigration and refugee advisor President Trump had. So there's definitely like that compounding factor, but we definitely, you know, didn't do enough in making sure, you know, we got everyone out before or we took, you know, the guards away. Again, I would say that's probably one of my largest criticisms is not so much that we left, but how we left the quick evacuation, not making this a priority as the presidential administration until we were either up to or past the deadlines that we need to extend it. And then effectively, we we did leave behind both our Afghani allies who had worked as translators and interpreters while we were over there or assisted uh, at times with actual fighting in order to overthrow and defeat the Taliban. That's a problem as well as leaving the Americans who were still there behind and not giving them a safe place and secure place. I think that there's a clear uh, order to which things should take place. And I don't think we really followed that. I think that the first thing that we should be doing when we're evacuating is making sure we get out the people who are not a part of the military, but not, I'll, I'll touch on this later. I don't think that that necessarily means immediately evacuating them unvetted to the United States. But I think that we do need to leave enough troops there that there is some stability until we have evacuate the people who had helped us and who will be targeted by the Taliban. This is purely opinion based. I don't really have any uh, any sources or any like proof for this. But it to me to me it really seemed strange. Um, and it also like you saw how detrimental it became to for us to pull that quickly in, in a way because I I remember seeing that we were pulling out and then they took over the country and then Biden was like oh JK you know like we're coming back in and then he he upped the number again to protect the people who were leaving. So again to me that that seemed a little a little strange. Uh, I was afraid that he was going to say like, oh, never mind, we're saying uh, because of all of the things that were happening. But thankfully, we're still leaving. It's just that that back and forth just seemed very sudden and almost unplanned. 
that back and forth did make for a shaky couple of days because I was, I had the same concern that you did, Marcelo. It's like, oh, great. Now we have, we've just been given a reason to continue occupying here and have another 20 years invested in Afghanistan. This is definitely not what I don't think any of us wanted. But um, again, like most people, the issue wasn't leaving. The issue is the method. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that a little bit more shortly. And so I think another th- interesting part of this conversation we focus on, and I actually have some Republican friends who are now calling to uh, impeach President Biden over the um, recent attacks that have happened at the Kabul airport. And, you know, in the track, it's incidents where 13, you know, service members died. But I also think, you know, when we look at, you know, the media coverage and how certain things are highlighted and certain things are not highlighted, we have to remember there was 170 people along with our service members who died in that bombing. 10 times the amount of Afghani people died to a terrorist attack than our service members. And our media is up in this frenzy over our service members who've died. And it's more people we've lost in that region and you know, in a hot minute. But we have to have that perspective that this Afghanistan incident, this crisis isn't about the United States. We have to remember we kind of caused it to a degree. We're liable along with it, with the political machinations and who we chose to support and didn't support. And in undertaking the task of nation building, we, you know, obliged ourselves to the fate of this, you know, state we tried to build. But this isn't a story about us. And when we read our headlines and we engage in the news, a lot of the times we encounter media that really does try to make it about us. And as a kind of mild uh, addition to this story, I'll tell you even like when I was researching that, you know, this uh, note for the show, like I actually uh, took me several attempts to find the actual number of people who died um, in the attack because all of the articles were only talking about the American who had died. And so I think that's an important part of media, especially when it involves like intensely uh, foreign affairs like this, as you remember, it's not always about the Americans uh, in the story. So I'll push back on that a little bit. Um, I agree that the Afghani lives that were lost are equally as important. Uh, What I'm going to push back on is the idea that it's not about us. I think that the fact that we were there and we needed to leave was kind of a given. But I do think that it does become about us when our leadership fails to appropriately evacuate that. And as such, it leads to a loss of life. And the United States is obviously going to have a vested interest in their own lives who are lost. That doesn't undercut the Afghans who died as a result of that terror attack. But I think that the poor leadership did allow for that terror attack to kill people, both Americans as well as Afghanis. So to an extent, I agree with you, Josh. Also push back a little bit. I'm curious what the other two think here too. I'm very happy with, like, you know, blaming Biden. You know, blame Biden all you want. I don't, no love lost for him. But you, you can't blame him for the execution. Um, I, I still, you know, and we all agree here, you cannot blame him for the intention or the, the act of actually pulling out because we all know that this needed to happen. So uh, part, partially, you know, agree. At the same time, I would like to emphasize Josh's point again. Um, because I do think that I wasn't, I wasn't, obviously I wasn't here when the war started and after 9-11. Um, and even if I was here, I was, you know, four years old, so probably didn't remember. Um, but <laughs> just to, um, just being on Twitter, the past, you know, the, the, the few hours after the, the attack happened and we saw the numbers and, and like, we saw the media just trying to spin this into like, oh, you know, this is, this is why we went. And then seeing politicians also get riled up. Um, I can totally see how this happened. And, and you know, in, in 9-11 is people being like, you know, like all oh, these terrorists, you know, like killed our, like our people, you know, we need to go back. I saw tweets uh, saying that, 
you know, cities in Afghanistan should be leveled to the ground, um, calling for retribution, retaliation. And, you know, tweets don't matter. But I, I do think there might be a good way to measure the temperature of the conversation when lives are involved and to see how these things can be escalated very quickly. I'm very thankful that a extremely small portion of the country and the world are on Twitter. But unfortunately, they have an outsized influence on the ideas that get put into culture. So I think that's absolutely fair to say that is a way to gauge the temperature of where things are going, but not because there are a ton of people that agree with those sentiments, but more because they're the only people getting to talk, so to speak. Josh raised a really good point earlier about, you know, 170 Afghan civilians being killed in those bombings. And of course, every single life is equally valuable. Every single life that was lost in that is an absolute tragedy. I think it says a lot about the Taliban themselves that they're willing to, I mean, it's not like they were just killing American soldiers. They were killing Afghan civilians, the people that they presume that they're going to be ruling over for the next few, you know, however long they're in control. I think that's horrifying that they're absolutely, they're willing to to, you know, send suicide bombers into a large group of mostly Afghan civilians and in their lives indiscriminately. I, I don't know. I just in, in, definitely in this, fear for in what this comes case, in this case, though, like ISIS took um, ownership of the attack. It was like not the like ISIS and the Taliban like kind of like hate each other. So oh, okay. like in this case, it was ISIS who um, I mean, they take ownership for most things, but but they they, mm-hmm. they they took authorship for the for the attack right now that that, that killed um, the civilians and the U.S. Uh, forces. Thanks for the catch there. You're right. What is or I think they're referring to them as ISIS-K right now, if I'm not mistaken. It does seem provide insight of what is unfortunately likely to follow here shortly in Afghanistan, which is going to be another civil war. And there's going to be another like refugee crisis, like part of the United States is quick evacuation and not, you know, making sure there was some form of stability is that we hop out of here and we're going to leave all of that for our European friends to kind of deal with the mess because Afghani um, refugees are only a problem when we choose to make them um, one for ourselves. Like you have to bring people over to the United States. There's no direct land access in the same way as that there is into Europe. So it does highlight more of like the long-term failures of the United States in that area of like, we're going to leave. And it's not even like we're going to leave it necessarily for the Taliban to have a peaceful rule in the first place. We're going to leave even the Taliban with a mess to clean up if they want stability for their own tyrannical rule. It's a huge reputation. I mean, the reputation of the U.S. is not not going so great, anyways. Um, but uh, it's it's a huge reputation hit uh, for the ways things have been handled, and it's sort of like you know I don't want to empathize with anyone in leadership right now, but like it's them if you do them if you don't. Like if you stay, then you continue. You know, um, it's really tragic that so many uh, American lives have been lost and uh, the Afghani lives have been lost in in this evacuation so far. But I also want to know, like you know. You can do the numbers for like what, how many more lives would have been lost if we had stayed or if we, we had continued to stay. But if, if we stay, then, you know, more chaos. And if we leave, then we leave the chaos behind. It's it's an unwinnable situation. And I think that speaks a lot to like the unwinnability of the whole thing since it started. On that note of an unwinnable situation, I'll tie that back. I think it was Josh's and then Marcelo's comments earlier about how the Afghani people are affected through this on Twitter, people are calling for, you know, that area to be raised to the ground. What's important to remember in that is that the Taliban and ISIS typically hide behind the civilians as their shield, which means that when you call for that, or when we reach a position like we did in 2001, where we have to go to war, that is not on our land, which means that it is a large number of the local people who will suffer, either because 
members of a terrorist organization like ISIS-K or ISIS, whatever they're called now, um, or like the Taliban who are oppressing the people, getting caught in the center can be equally damaging to the locals as well. And I think that it's important that we humanize these people as well because the outrage is not towards the Afghan people. It is towards the terrorist organizations and we need calculated measures to make sure that the civilian harm, damage, and casualties are at a minimum. And I think that that, I, I tie that back again to where I think the poor transition of power plan to the Afghan militia or whatever we had equipped at that point to be able to control their own and keep out terrorist organizations as well as a poor retreat, I think it's just exasperating this problem that I just mentioned and the harm that will be endured by the citizens. Just as an aside, ISIS-K stands for ISIS Khorasan, which is, was a historical province that stretched across Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Pakistan, and Iran. Just an aside for historical information. And I think that raises another point that this is, these are groups that have a long history and that have roots in their own history and they have very vested interest in the plans they have because they've had these plans for a very, very long time, which has obviously complicated a lot of our engagements with them. So I think when we look at the Afghanistan involvement of the United States over the years, it's really hard to figure out who's at fault. So, you know, as I talked about before with the probability of an up and coming Afghanistan um, civil war, is that President Biden's fault? Personally, I don't think so. I think that's President Obama's and President Trump's fault more so than it is Biden. Is the scandal of, you know, not getting out everyone properly on time before all of the troops left President Biden's fault? Probably. Um, that's something he could very immediately control. And so I think when we up and come in seeing it, um, it will be hard to decipher with the media and all of the noise. And Biden will probably bear the brunt of the political suffering that will come from this. But at some level, someone eventually had to because there's been a series of mistakes that has been made President after president by both political parties that has now just ended in this mess. And I think that's reflected in how unpopular our involvement over in these countries has become in the broad American consensus. I'd agree with that. I think that clearly it's it's a chain reaction. Multiple presidential cabinets have had their hands in this. I think Biden is going to bear the brunt of my immediate ire right now because of the way that things went down and what I think was a leadership failure on his part since he is the commander in chief of the army. However, negotiating with the Taliban, in my opinion, was a mistake with the Trump administration that then ties into here. And then the cur I, I don't know who was at fault for this, but the Taliban was given a list of our allies by the U.S. Army. I don't know whether that was upper command, whether that was the commander in chief, but in essence, they were given a hit list. Because if you think that a group that we have agreed is not trustworthy, that Biden stated only a matter of weeks ago is not trustworthy, should be given a list of our Afghani allies who helped us and assume the Taliban wouldn't retaliate or would give them safe passage. I think that was a terrible, terrible decision. And that spans multiple administrations. But specifically right now, that decision does tie back to Biden. But I think that that's, that has been a failure in order to account for uh, the people who did us a great service in what we, well, at, at subduing the Taliban and driving them out at the time. All right, we're going to take a quick bake. <laughs> we're going to bake those hot takes. All right, we'll be right back with our hot takes. All right. Any preference on order does not matter to me. I'm ready, so I can go for it. All right. We'll do uh, Marcelo, and then we want to do me, Josh, Austin. That works to me. All right. Take uh, it on away. On one condition, what? you have to uh, introduce the hot takes as fresh from the oven. Okay. 
These hot takes are fresh from the oven. Marcelo, coming at you. Thank you, Ryan. So it's a two-part hot take. And the first one is pretty straightforward because I've already mentioned it a little bit. Um, I obviously don't like the way it went down. I don't know if anyone can be super happy with the way it went down, but it doesn't matter how much I like dislike Biden for the way it was handled. My respect for him is just bigger than that because the fact that we're leaving. Like I, I will never, I think, you know, you can you can say whatever you want to say about the way we left. I feel like I've seen this happen in a couple of other policies where like each president is like, oh, you know, like the next one can do it. And they keep pushing, pushing and pushing because nobody wants to take the political fallback. Biden just did it finally. I mean, Trump did the deal, but Biden finally did it. And for that, I will say, thank God, you know, like it's, it, it was time. And so for that, you know, that's really all I have to say. The second part of the hot take has to do more with the media reaction. I am worried, maybe not worried because I know it'll happen. So it's, you know, I'm just sad um, that once we leave, hopefully soon, Afghanistan will get into this civil war and and the the only things we'll hear from them is some war journalists going there and like taking some Pulitzer Prize worthy pictures and that's probably going to be um, as much as we're involved anymore because while while you would say that going there and staying there for 20 years was a really bad thing uh, now that we leave I think it'll leave the American psyche as well all right I'll kick this off by saying that the evacuation process was a f- disaster and I'll go back and I'll believe that or cut it or whatever, but uh, I that, spice right there. I think it was a disaster, and I think that goes all the way back up to the top. It is 100% on Biden's hands as a failed leadership. I think that he stood behind it under the guise of a false dichotomy. If not now, then when? And I think that, of course, we should get out. That was not the question. But that does not give you grounds to justify failed leadership and the abandonment of American citizens, American troops, and our Afghan allies. That's a threefold problem right there. Going back to right before the hot takes, giving a hit list, essentially, to the Taliban, negotiating with the Taliban, was a big mistake. And this wasn't touched on, but I I think that the refugees absolutely need to be evacuated. They did us a service to this country, expedite their visas, green cards, whatever it is that they're actually able to be given in order they can have asylum. However, vet them. We are under a crisis, and under a crisis comes mistakes. As we saw with the bombing at Kobol, we saw that ISIS is sending in suicide bombers, which means that there is no security in that area to ensure that terrorists will not get along. Do not mistake that to be that that the Afghans are terrorists because they are not. But if we are not in a strong position of security to where they can be vetted, then we do run the risk of ISIS-K terrorists coming over with that. My proposal would be something that I had heard, which was send them to a neutral third country, evacuate them so they're not targeted by ISIS, get them their green cards, but vet them for security. So get the people out of there, get them out as quickly as possible, protect them, stand with the people that stood with us. That's my hot take. I would push the reminder that Afghanistan um, and the people who live there have been come to known as the graveyards of empires. And it's probably going to be true for both ISIS and the Taliban, I think, in the long run. I think especially after the 20 years that where they had this idea of a better you know, world, a democratic world that moves past kind of the king and queen system, that each kind of variant of the world has had its own you know, different flavor text um, and adaption of, will be a long last generational impact because you can't take those ideas and influences away from them. And the Taliban, you know, and the Taliban 
will not be able to wear down the heart of the Afghani people the same way as the United States is unable to wear it down and, you know, claim their victory there. I do think it's really important to say that I just, I don't think it was ever possible for the United States to fix Afghanistan, whatever definition we want to assign the word fix here, because I don't think we can fix other countries. I do think they can fix themselves. I do believe in those, uh, that res- the resiliency and the strength of the people that live there. And that means, you you know, and supporting them in different, you know, humanitarian ways in the up and coming areas, providing places for refugees to go, um, providing food, medicine, and water where we can. Because I think if you want to mend a country, if you want to help an area heal, then perhaps it is actually indeed better to send medicine instead of bullets. And now the Pillsbury Doughboy, fresh out of the oven, Austin. He did ask for me to introduce him. All right. So to start off my hot take, just like to recognize that this is a long-standing issue. It's been mentioned multiple times in this podcast that Afghanistan has been referred to historically as the graveyard of empires. And while you know, arguably the United States, you know, we like to tout that's like, oh, this is the most powerful nation in history. If you compare it against the backdrop of history, that just wasn't taking into account the issues that other empires have faced in Afghanistan. To tie it to a little bit more modern time, I think a lot of Americans would agree that retribution for what happened on 9-11 was necessary in a way to take action against Al-Qaeda, against Osama bin Laden. But I don't think any American would say they agreed to staying for 20 years. I don't think that any regard was taken for the history or culture of the region of Afghanistan and claiming that we would be able to do Western nation building there. If the people didn't want it, it wasn't going to happen. And there is quite a few people that did not want it. As has been mentioned before, people have to choose what their values are going to be. They have to set their own culture. You can't use coercive force to steamroll your culture into a new area. All that being said, since the American people did not necessarily, quote unquote, agree to staying as long as we did, I think leaving was right, but we did it incorrectly. And all this is going to amount to an incredible show of weakness for the Biden admin, the United States military, and the United States in general today. And I think on the world stage, with things shaping up the way they are, that is going to be the most dangerous thing that comes out of that. This shows a lot of incompetence, particularly on a lot of his military leaders and not checking some of the plans that he put forth, or the lack of plans in this case. And while all the aspects of this conflict cannot be attributed to Biden, the way that this pull out of the country did uh, would be attributed to him since he's currently the commander in chief. This has truly been an emperor has no clothes moment for the U.S. And I'm very honestly quite afraid for what comes next for our nation, considering where the world stage is standing right now. I don't think the next few years are going to be very good. All right. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Join us next week for more information and hot takes. Goodbye for now. <laughs> We'll be right